0: Welcome to part three of my talk with Lou Ross of Fickle Skateboards. If you haven't heard parts one and two, I urge you to listen to them first. They offer an insight not only into one skateboard manufacturer's life, but into the skateboard industry as a whole. Now, I'm not saying Lou's opinions are law and nobody can have different opinions from Lou's. In fact, I've had emails and messages disagreeing with Lou that make some very valid points, and I think that is great. After all, One thing that is missing from our social media one-sentence-in-an-image-meme society is the ability to see past differences of opinion and to grow in knowledge. In an earlier podcast, when Lou talked about loving his Facebook newsfeed, I disagreed with him. I get so frustrated by the lack of conversation. I see a lot of words, but I see very little conversation, because conversation, when it is genuine and done with an open mind, brings understanding and balance. You see, the best part about these interviews... Is that it gives us talking points. We can continue these conversation starters in many different directions and we can disagree and grow and continue until we find things we agree with. In part three, Lou touches on wood veneer and glue and the art and craft of making skateboard decks. I find this fascinating. and I want more conversation about craft manufacturers. I want craft manufacturers to come up on Lucha Skate. I don't care if that is a podcast, a product review, a blog post, an article, whatever format. If you are creating a skateboard product with your hands, I want to know your product, and I want the people that visit this website to know you. And let me tell you, those numbers are growing more and more each week. Before we go into the conversation, I'll get this formal stuff out of the way. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of LuchaScape magazine, blog, or podcast as a whole. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. The podcast should not be viewed as a news source, and explicit
1: language may be used. Authority, And we have that in the Midwest very strongly. The fact is, if you're a small brand owner like me, your shit's not going on the wall anywhere if you're shit talking. That's what they call questioning authority in the Midwest. Shit talking. Right. You know. But the truth is, when you're standing in a field full of shit, it's time to talk about shoveling some of the shit out of the way, and make a path. You know? But if you're talking I mean, if skateboarding were a baby, it's had a dirty diaper for three weeks and it's gonna get sick and <laughs> die. We need to we need to talk about this dirty diaper. We need to talk about elitism. We need to talk about retail authority that that calls a community. I will never forget when in the, in the early 2000s, I, I read Support Your Local Skate Shop, and it sounded so good. Consolidated is a brand that really capitalized on Support Your Local Skate Shop. Um, and, and I remember looking, and Consolidated went on this anti-Nike thing, you know, yeah, the don't, don't do, do it. it. And I watched as as I, I saw kids get picked on for wearing Nike shoes, and I saw people get vibed for where they fuck the mall shop, you know, where they bought their boards. And I thought, no, not support your local skate shop, but how can your local your skate shop better support you? That's the question. You know, 2000, and uh, – I think it was 2010 went down to Savannah and I was talking to some folks who are in the industry down there. And they were they were bemoaning the fact that kids were buying stuff online and then showing up in the skate shop. But that's a common complaint. And I said, you know, uh, where's your online store? And they said, we won't do an online store. You know, it's uh, it's too hard. It's too much work. This that, and the other thing. And I said, well, then you don't deserve to be in business. Because you could do an online store and have your team promote it and have a sticker with your online store you could have been doing that 5 10 or even 15 years ago and have it yeah. developed out of the point where you've captured the online market and their mouths and, fell and even no. your
0: local customers could be
1: ordering I, online pick it up in the store I had to ask him David I, I said hey let me ask you a question so ordering online is wrong let me let's find out what's wrong with it so the kid the kid is at his house and he opens a tab because he wants to do some shopping and he wants to shop from his house because what he really wants to do today is not get in a car and go to a store. He wants to ride his skateboard today. And he would like to sit down and order his stuff so that he can go out and ride on his wonderful, magical dragon roller coaster toy. And what is not core about that? I say online shopping has given us more time to ride the damn things. And it's any business, I told the shop that any, and I was a brand, you know, I was a brand visiting a shop, any shop that doesn't develop a functional, easy to use online and promote it directly through the efforts of their team members has no right to complain against their customers. In fact, any retailer has no right to complain against their customers because rule number one in retail is not location, location, location. It is the customer is always right. So if your customer wants to shop online, get your head out of your butt and make and an online, make an online shop. Exactly. You make an online shop. So I was I've been criticized here for for selling online. Um, my brand competitors have for years given grief because I'm an online store. Um, Because I want to know my customers and I want them to know me. I want it to be, I have a guy. I had my boards in a local shop, which by the way is closing. It's, it's changing its, its whole format. Now they're, they're, they're they're combining with a shoe store now, but uh, this local shop is what most uh, shops are these days anyway. Well, they were actually I, I they, they ordered a whole bunch of boards because of a, a rivalry they have, you know. They were doing the whole enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. Yeah. So they brought my they brought my boards in and I had no illusions about their intentions. They just wanted to piss off another brand. Um <laughs> you know, and so I put like 14 of my boards in there and I built a I built a display per their instructions and then they had an internal dispute over whether my display was good. Um, and uh, I got I got real bad treatment. Like one time uh, I invoiced them and I had charged them five dollars for like a huge stack of stickers, you know. And we may, I make the stickers right here, you know. Right. Um, they're not super cheap to make, and I charged them five dollars for the sticker pack, the promo pack that came with the boards. That put the cost per sticker at somewhere around ten cents a sticker. It was even cheaper, and um, I got this. You know this Facebook message from the owner of the shop. You know they had two owners, and a nice owner, and they had not nice owner. And this not nice owner, like almost every time I drop off product, or at least at least two or three times in the relationship, would send me these these crappy, just shitty messages. Like the the message would be like, "You're charging us for stickers." That's all. Not hey Lou, had a concern, you know. And I wrote back to him. You know, I don't want to give it too much time because I really – it was upsetting. You know, I put my heart into my work and I feel like we, at that time my boards were a little more rough and I really was you – know, you you're putting everything you got into – I mean just building a press or building a mold. And this is about how Fickle started. Um, but I, I went up pulling my boards out of that shop. I brought in $490 and put it on the counter and said I'm going to take these boards and I'm going to take them down to Lexington, Kentucky. They want 10 boards and I'm going to let them pick. And then maybe I'll bring them back and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll restock you again if, if, if it works. But right. I said uh, – and the owner called me. He said, we've never had a brand pull out of our store before. What's going on? I said, well, you guys – you have like a whole bunch of shoe customers and a few skateboard customers. And your, your shop is a Nike shop. You've got the quick strikes. They drop. People line up around the block. you got $45,000 in the cash register on the quick strike day. You know, that's ridiculous money. It changes a skateboard shop owner's mind. They don't love skateboarding the same after they see a cash register with $45,000 in it. Do you realize those quick strikes, that, that Nike stuff? That's like retail heroin, man. Oh. It's, yeah, it's it's an insane culture. So so I, I, I told him, I said, look, man, if it ever is right... But I pulled those boards out, and the reason why wasn't the shitty relationship that that guy had with me, it's because I, talk, I talked with their workers, I talked with the guys behind the counter, but they, they kept telling people, they would say, I don't know, it's some guy hand makes them in his basement, and it drove me nuts, because I use the same tools that they use in the factory in China and Mexico, I use the same right. process that is normal factory in Watson and everywhere else, you know. I use the same kind of tools and the same sort of process. It's just small batch. How hard is it to say these are small batch workshop process? Please, but they're but the guys working there. And I, honestly, you know, when their eyes are red every day, and they're, and they're, they're just, too cool to, to care about it. They smoked just... a lot of dude. I'm just call it as it is. You smoke a lot of weed and you don't care whether it's homemade or small batch or whatever. You is don't he, care about anything because you got 90 quick strikes, man. There's forty thousand dollars in the till who cares smoke dope come to work underperform go home do it again I think that's I think that's shitty living man and I'm a I'll, I'll say it again I'm a libertarian
0: <laughs> but I've never had a good a really good taste in my mouth about skate shops other than cheap skates in Memphis I'll give Ron Ron's the cool guy I
1: like him that's because Ron Hill is some form of a saint
0: but I grew up, I grew up where there were no skate shops. You know, you, every once in a while you'd go to a record store that would have some skateboards or uh, there was a place in Alexandria, Louisiana, there was a hardware store that had some skateboards.
1: Yes. right. You
0: know, there were no real skateboard shop experiences. And then I finally moved to Portland to live the whole Burnside experience. And went into my first real skate shop and was treated like I was non local dirt.
1: Nothing. You get treated like shit. Yeah, I, I'm going back to ordering online. You know, that I, I, I have been such a believer in the skate shop. Um, I actually got to be, you know, the, the, the Galaxy Skate Shop opened in Newport, Kentucky um, in 2000, and maybe seven. And the guy who opened it was not a total ripper. He was not a performance-dominant pro-type person. He was a humble, sweet, good-hearted man he is Mm -hmm. who loves skateboarding and loves skateboarders. And he opened it. He sold it uh, after a while because it was very stressful. And he had new kids, you know, he had babies and, and a job. And, right. and this guy ran that shop so well. And um, I finally experienced the clubhouse I'd always dreamed of at the Galaxy Skate Shop in Newport. Until I don't know what year it was, but he, he sold it to um, a brand owner. You know, we have in Cincinnati, we have a brand owner who is a shop owner. And has now franchised out and opened a second shop just blocks from my house. Oh. And I, I, uh, there's a rule in Cincinnati um, that you don't make this guy angry. That has always been a rule. When I worked with that other brand, they had, they would say in private, the one thing we don't want to do is make this guy, who's a brand owner, you know, and he was in cahoots with one shop, but then they went to war with each other when he, when he bought the other shop so once he went then what he did was his second this this guy opened a second shop nine minutes away from the shop that he was at war with and now this that now they're closing that shop and he's now completely dominant he owns the Cincinnati brand the local brand right and owns local brand made in Mexico we have six we have six branding entities in Cincinnati that are all made in the same Tijuana Mexico factory they're the exact same Product, and they and several of these uh, brands used to call it that old deluxe wood, and they said that deluxe made their wood for years. And I actually got a chance to go visit deluxe in 2010, and ask them why they made such crappy wood. <laughs> because, and I got to actually ask Jim, and what a heart, what a good heart, the Jim. Seems to have, you know, um, and Jim assured me they didn't make that wood, and that wasn't the deluxe grade of wood. Um, that that was a lower grade of wood that was made by that factory. The deluxe, oh. the deluxe grade of wood, um, and you know, opinions on deluxe wood are, they vary from place to place and climate to climate or whatever. I don't know, but um, but we 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 really. It was, it was in 2010 when I noticed precipitously people stopped saying it was deluxe wood. And I couldn't help but wonder if maybe, maybe the word went out to stop calling your, your shop boards and stop calling your small brand deluxe, deluxe wood. Because deluxe represents three brands. and That's the kind of thing. That's an ethical thing. To, to have a small skateboard brand and then say it's the same wood as deluxe. Uh, First, I don't have a really high opinion of the quality of the wood that's coming out of the generator factory. I I don't. I I haven't been able yet to form a high opinion of that wood. Um, I've seen consistently that it's it's over-flexible. It internally delaminates and has clicks and floppiness. And as much as we tell ourselves that we like it that way, a lot of that comes because we just haven't felt a good quality laminate product in a long, long time. So anyway, long and short, how Fickle started was out of this mess, this mishmash of unfriendly shops and unfriendly territorial grumpy brands. We have a brand in Cincinnati is the strangest thing. Um, I came here in 2000. I came to Cincinnati. This is one reason Fickle started too. Um, There's a brand here that exercises a really, really strong territorial um, dominance, and, um, and 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 they're they're uh, they're they're very active. I mean, they do they do a lot of things, and um, and a, a very very just like you said, like this brand also owns shops, you know. So so you've got this brand, and um, it's a Mexican-made brand. They used to call it Deluxe, you know, and and claim that it was Deluxe and like that. But the uh, the owner of this brand used to ride for a major company. Okay. and um and then they turned him down he was it was am and am was different than pro you know yeah back in the day yeah i mean <laughs> now now pros and ams get paid the same thing Bupkus. <laughs> <laughs> you know there are a lot of pros who if they ever listen to this would would agree with me that ams and pros gets paid about the same thing nothing nothing they get sticker packs and free boards and Trips. They get to go on trips, and if they're lucky, they get enough of a per diem that they can afford weed. But the uh, this uh, this this guy. I came to Cincinnati, and I stepped in it almost as soon as I walked in the shop because when I found out, like I'm from New York, okay, and you know I tend to say what I think. And <laughs> you know why? You know why someone from New York says what they think? Because fuck you. Well, and just, all right. <laughs> you know, the fuck, what? You, what? <laughs> you say what you think. And I remember I stepped in it early. You know, they said one thing you don't want to do. Don't make this guy mad at you because he'll ruin your life or ruin your company he'll ruin everything.
0: And well, I was like, first oh, I was
1: I was like, you know what? Fuck that you what you do. That's the guy. You want to you want to go and you make a friendship with that person by assert, you assert your boundaries in your life and you say this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be I'm going to know you in 20 years so let's have a story together let's have a, let's have a uh, let's have a relationship but you know no disrespect intended but um, if you you know if you're going to start your own brand you know that one one of the rules of starting your own brand you know what you don't do to yourself when you start your own brand what is- you don't don't turn yourself pro huh I mean am I is it me? no I mean no one will talk about it. This is like the most taboo topic in my city for saying this for bringing this up this will cause this will cause great consternation you know this will cause people to to flip their shit that I brought this up but i I stepped in it right off the bat because I came here and i started uh I started fickle out of a desire for better wood you know and the uh the other branding agents in our area had in, they had what I was my opinion they had an inferior product produced in another country and they were their brand was based on them saying we're better at skateboarding than you are therefore buy this and I that argument man I hate that argument that's an argument based in inferiority and it's based in insecurity and it's based in its conformity and it's ugly that's an ugly culture I don't like that culture and I don't want that to be the culture so right. I at first, I worked with a brand, and I did good work for them, but they drummed me out. And then they brought me back, and then I quit. I helped them get a new wood account, but I didn't like their product, and I said, forget this. And and then my friend said, hey, no, no, it was while I was with that brand, my friend says to me, why don't we start a brand that's fun? Why don't we start a brand that's fun and is, is about what we want it to be about? So my buddy Sam he named it Fickle, and I thought it was a great name because you should be able to change your mind and change up your game, man. That's what skateboarding is about, you know, and that's why I like the name Fickle. And um, I'm actually pretty stalwart, you know. I'm pretty I'm pretty strong and solid, and I've made I've, I've made my lines. But but Fickle is what your skateboarding should be able to be, and and uh, so. We started with uh, Pennsylvania Press Penswood boards, really okay. good, dense, yeah. thicker. They don't over, you know, like in, in the Mexican factories, they have to sand them up, sometimes up to four times. They have to re-sand and replane these so that they'll good. go through the automated glue thing. And at Penswood, they, they didn't over-sand them like that so the boards were less thin. Sometimes by just a few thousandths of an inch, but you could feel it. You can tell it, yeah. We've done it with with a caliper. We have actually had boards that are like, that are like three, four, five, twelve thousandth thousandths of an inch um, thicker, and you can you literally can feel, feel, feel the difference. It's it's weird because the thinner boards feel wafery, you know. And uh, I make thin construction. I have thin layups. You know, I can yeah. I can do almost. You can just go through the pile and pick the thin pieces because it's not rocket surgery, dude. This whole wood milling thing, yeah. like yeah. the blade gets dull and the pieces get rougher and thicker, and then they fix the blades and it's like. That's a whole other thing. I know so much, man. We could. I, I I'm going to start my own podcast and just talk shit. But, <laughs> so, so. so um, anyways, uh, Fickle started on Pennsylvania wood, and we got up to where we needed 200 boards a month. That's a really good. That's really? good. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, was, it was mostly local. It was really good. It was mostly local. We would be on the wall, and we would outsell other local brands because, first of all, um, we weren't skating at you. We were skating with, with you. you. We weren't arguing that we're better than you and that's why you should buy our boards. We were arguing that you deserve to be supported by a board that was made near here and made with a quality that we can guarantee. And our numbers went up and our numbers went up and then and then Penswood called me up and the gentleman at Penswood said, Lou, I have great news for you. In our first year, we, we went from customer, you know, there's 380... Small brand customers. We were right. customer. We were account number twelve out of th- over three hundred seventy five small accounts. They had seven big accounts
0: in, in a year.
1: In a year, they had seven big accounts, and then they had the rest. And of the right. rest, we were number twelve in one year. And that's because skateboarding is dying for someone to just love you like you are, man. You're not just good enough. You're Fucking awesome. You're awesome. Our company isn't fucking awesome. You're fucking awesome. Do you see the difference? Absolutely. It's not buy our shit because it's fucking awesome. It's hey, you're the shit because you're fucking awesome. We think you are awesome. And we would love to provide for you skateboards that inspire you by how they're made, by where they're made, by who makes them, that inspire you by you don't have to worry if you break it you're going to get a you're going to get a replacement cuz we guarantee it we have a saying i have a saying in my workshop if you have a problem with your board i have a problem if you have a problem i got to fix it that's the guarantee on fickle boards and i don't think that's hurt me no no in fact i've got people who've ordered 5 and 6 boards in a row after a replaced board I'm not getting screwed by people. Skateboarders are good to me, man. They don't lie. So I started with the Pennsylvania Wood, and we needed 200 boards. Um, So we ordered 100 boards, and they were – actually, it was like, we've already got these boards cut. We're ready to put your graphics on. them. No problem. We'll have them out to you at the end of the week. And that batch of boards, as I remember – I have the email threads if I need to go back. But something like – nine weeks after the promised ship date having been told they already shipped three times now look i'm not a saint or a perfect person i've got board orders that took way longer and i have forgotten and lost orders before i have had to eat a few plates of crow it's not easy this stuff keeping everything sorted out and i am i am not without compassion for the organ but but that that was so over the line. So we ordered a hundred boards. We needed two hundred in a month. Nine weeks later, we still hadn't gotten the first hundred of that two hundred. We had wow. two two one hundred board invoices out, and it was at that point that we said, "Okay, okay, we're gonna stop." I mean, you can't believe it. When I first ordered our boards, I ordered a, a certain size. I said, "Can you do this size?" And he said, "Those will never sell. They're too big." And I said, just make the – can you make them though? Will it be okay? He's like, well, I'll have to make a custom CNC for you. But he made it and it was called the F1, F2, and F3 I think or whatever. F5 or – I forget. We wanted 8.5-inch wide boards. We wanted 8.5-inch boards and we wanted them to have – I think we wanted a 15-inch wheelbase on them. And people loved them. They loved them. And uh, maybe it was a a 14.5. It was absurdly long. Um, by the the standards of this, this play. And they told me they'll never sell and they sold. And, and then, um, but we, I got to 2009, we stopped buying boards and we stopped selling boards for an entire year while I went through what I can only describe as an extremely agonizing process of making a mold and building a press and not being able to build a press with high pressure, uh, you know, I couldn't build a, a, a hydraulic press. I couldn't build a pneumatic press. Um, I had to build a press that might not work, and it cost thousands of dollars.
0: Really?
1: Well, and not only that, but once you once you build your press, you need some wood to press in it. And back then, you couldn't buy ten boards worth of veneer. You know, you you could you could maybe buy some raw rocket veneer, but it was like sixty dollars a board. You know, it was really yeah. expensive. So I I wound up. Um, I wound up, I, I, um, I you know, all, all I'm going to say is that I, I, I have no fortunes in my future. Um, I, wound yeah. up, uh, I wound up, I wound up buying like uh, many grand's worth of veneer from Canada. And this was back when uh, you used to believe that the wood you were buying from Canada grew. In Canada. Canada. (laughs) You know, that is also another myth that we lost. We lost that. The more I learn, the more I see that it's up to the individual workshop to properly cure, to spread the glue properly, and to press within the right time on the open working time of the glue, and to keep them in the press a long time, and then to post-cure those boards and let the glue bonds finish. Because you, you you can't guarantee the quality of the wood that's going in. You cannot. There's no use in bragging that your wood is 100% Canadian when the board was pressed in China and a thousand other a thousand other things that go on. Yeah, you know all these the factors come down to craftsmanship at the point of production is is the only thing that we can really control. Now since then now you can buy 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 boards worth of wood from Cahaba in Alabama or from Marwood. Just across from Louisville Skate Park, you know, I can Uh I can go to Louisville and then cross into Indiana and get that. Um, Or you can buy it up 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 near uh, up in Van Wert area of uh, of Ohio. There's another outfit up there. I can take a truck up there and get a pallet of wood. You know, so there's they really opened up that that market because there's more and more people who are pressing boards like uh, Maximus is pressing boards like uh, like me. He's got a little workshop in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Who else is there? Yeah, Valiant. you Wood got Woodshop uh, over there. American Waste. Mixed. Who else? American Waste. Z I don't, I don't know them yet. I can't wait to. Um, now, you have to watch out because um, there's going to be a lot of cool things in California um, because new ideas can happen there. And, uh, you know, I, I I look at it and I'm like... But there's a ton of people craft pressing in California that we never knew about. You know who's cool? There's a guy. He, uh, he makes uh, he makes cruiser boards, like old 1970 style cruiser boards. Uh, it's called uh, Surf City. Is it no. called? Uh, I'll pull him up because that guy is dope. But long and short, uh, I started Fickle because I wanted the skateboard. Not just to last, but to feel great. When I made my first concave, that was how I asked. I said, what what would feel great to stand on? What would feel great to stand on? And I just sculpted the board's concave. I, 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 I sculpted it in plaster, and then I cast it in concrete, and then I prototyped it out. And my first mold took me four months of sculpting. Wow. You can go back on our website, and you can look at me with a with a, a light and sandpaper working that mold you know and that was that was the real deal dude so 2010 we released our first pressings and i had promised my friend who owned the galaxy skate shop i had promised him that the galaxy would get my first pressings you know they were going to be rough and gnarly and authentic you know how it is because you've cut boards i mean you cut you cut the sickest boards out there. I love your I love your work. You know, Lucha Lucha has sick craft going on at the heart of it because that's what people who have a heart do. They make things. They create. And um, and uh, I mean, not nothing against. I mean, if you want to sit in a chair and just play Call of Duty for the rest of your life and just smoke butt and eat cheeseburgers, oh yeah, no, I'm against that. Yeah, that's <laughs> lame. That's lame. <laughs> no disrespect intended, but I I don't respect it. So, anyway, like, uh, come on, kids, be a warrior, be a Viking, get out there and do something. Do,
0: yes. Do it.
1: it. Don't think about it. Think about it. Do think about it. And do it. Think
0: about it a lot and do it and then think about it some more and do it some more.
1: That song was originally by the Pink Fairies and it's better. They do it better than he did it. But anyway, Rollins. Uh. Henry Rollins is dope. We all know he's dope. His role in the Sons of Anarchy was excellent. So but, I never saw that. Oh man, I I marathon watched Sun's anarchy all day. <laughs> <laughs> so um I started fickle on Pennsylvania wood, but they wouldn't supply our demand and we then we started to get these batches from Pennsylvania. And we knew this this was possible. And we had a batch that was so bad and I asked him, I said, you know, is there an explanation? Because the quality is so low, and I'm trying to learn how this works. And he said, these boards they were they were pressed fresh out of the they were pressed and cut same day. And then they were put next to a heating unit. Oh. And and I said, you know, I mean I was like Is that a thing? And he said, listen, he's like, we we serve he said he was so cool. The guy at Penswood is so cool because he was honest and he was he was conversational and he, and, he, and he he was vulnerable and he would share you know things. There's some things he asked me not to share and I haven't shared them. And there's some things he'd wish I wouldn't share. But honestly, we didn't have any reason not to keep working together except that we couldn't get honesty on our ship dates and we couldn't get consistency in our quality and we couldn't depend on them at all to build a brand that could support skateboarders with any reliability and a product that they could depend on. And that was the goal of our company. That was our mission. Right. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to, and we had really funny graphics that were silly. And we had a really Really? accessible team. Yeah, we had purple people, your board. And we had a a board that was, that was dangerously close to turning myself pro was the Giving Beard. (laughs) My team prevailed upon me to do a a Shell Silverstein knockoff. We did the Giving Beard where it was just a beard from the top of the board down. I have them all, you know, and we, and we employed local artists. Uh, we had one guy and, uh, he, he did all our drawings and then he, he just basically used to illustrator or Photoshop and he drew something up and emailed it over to Penn's wood. And yeah. then they, he transferred that onto the boards. Um, and, um, and we had uh, we had a lot of uh, there were a lot of things we learned. I'd already learned a lot working with uh, that wonderful wonderful saint of a man Jim Gray, um, clay footed saint, and uh, had a great time working with uh, with Craig Harbick uh, on the phone at ABC and watching the transition of ABC into poor quality. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's called ABC anymore. But I got a board out of I got a board. Um, yeah, you know who else is cool as Gino at Split Lip? Shout out. Gino right. at Splitlip, yeah, Splitlip is like a is like a sleeping giant. They're making some really good shit. Um, I know that they're they're doing stuff with uh, some uh, some of the Z product that's out there. Okay, yeah. Um, I know that they've worked directly with Jason Adams and uh, Gino at Splitlip just opened the craft up to me back when I was learning how to make my first mold and, and all that stuff. And he just opened it up to me. It was guys like Gino at Splitlip. That he turned me on to who to go to for veneer, and uh, okay. yeah, like uh, I think like seven thousand dollars back then was a small order of veneer. Oh wow! Yeah, well, you had to pay two thousand dollars in shipping, even if you even if you bought uh, twenty boards worth, you had to have a whole pallet worth of space in a truck for your shipping. So that w- that's the thing is that the logistics and shipping were insane. So you you may as well buy the whole pallet. But an entire pallet of veneer, I, th- I think it was something like 200 or 300 boards worth in just a single pallet and uh, maybe more um, because I remember my first, my first purchase of wood was something like 500 decks worth of wood wow. and that was considered a tiny order, tiny order um, wow. and they stuck my first shipment of wood on the back of a potato truck, and shipped it to the border, and then um, a friend had a big company, and he did LTL less than load, LTL trucking is less than load, and he had his LTL specialist logistics pick it up, and bring it to us here, and it was, I mean dude, it was terrifying, every step of the way was terrifying, You're you're laying out thousands of dollars, and you're not even sure your boards are gonna be any good,
0: Right, because you've never pressed a board before in your life, right?
1: I, by the time I made my first decks, I made a, I made a punk point, and that board made it through. Uh, I think it had three, three riders on it total, and that board lasted nine months of just dreadful abuse. I was using a two-part glue at the time. I use a one-part now. Both of the glues are super bomber. But I've made boards with hardware store glue and gotten excellent boards out of hardware store really? glue. A little more flexy, little more flexy. Type Bond 1. Type Bond Formula 1. I had Miles Keller destroy index on Type Bond Formula 1. And uh, they it really did a good enough bond. I didn't like it, it was a little too whippy for me.
0: Right.
1: Definitely more flexible and, and relaxed more than what I like. But because we long cure it, even with Type Bond 1, which is not a tremendous glue. Um, we got a great bond. Type bond 2 produces all you guys out there are thinking about making boards. Type bond uh, version 2, it's like 14 bucks a gallon it is a great glue. works wonderfully. Type bond 3 is I in my opinion is a gimmick glue. It's got a lot of what they call wood flour in it and they're trying to do a surface area bonding thing with wood flour but what they really wind up doing is just fluffing the glue with an extra half cup of its sawdust. <laughs> the, and and the bottle of type bond you'll get it uh and it that wood flour settles to the bottom so your glue consistency you can't shake it it's too viscous to shake so you got all these logistics on type on three that's a type on three and it advertises waterproof qualities that it uh, that's not real that's there you'll see this Um, It's like when you buy polyurethane. Have you ever bought polyurethane? Yeah,
0: sure.
1: Well, you you know, that's actually acrylic. Most of it is just acrylic. It's not polyurethane. It's acrylic. And for some reason, nobody has said it's uh, a problem for them to call it polyurethane. I use a, a, a Minwax polyacrylic water base a lot of times. Because you can be lazy and put it in the gun and leave it in the gun for like weeks and it will still spray. Oh, that came back to bite me in the ass today. I've got is that
0: what you were talking about. The...
1: Yeah, I've got a whole. Bu- I've got a bunch of guns that, of course, I you know I gunk up the guns really bad because I'm an idiot. And so I have all <laughs> these. I've got like five guns that are all gunked up, and I got to go tomorrow morning. I got to go to Harbor Freight pick up a cheap gun and finish this batch for Alabama. Shout out to my friend Eric. It's going to be worth it, believe me, my friend. Some extras will get in that box. But um, but uh, all this goes. You can see, like I, my head is in this, right, David? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, my head, my heart is in it too. But I, I haven't been thinking about quitting. But I've been asking, like, what does it look like? Because in two thousand nine, David, it was it was okay. We're gonna make boards. We've had the shittiest boards with the worst customer service you could ever imagine. You know, if your colors were wrong, they would tell you you shouldn't have asked for such hard colors. If your sizes were wrong, they would tell you that you're too picky. Right. You know. You know, and it was like, wow. And then at your ship dates, they would lie to you. And we were even in a phone conversation. And I wouldn't say this tore. It had already torn by this time. But we were in a in a conference call with Matt Simpson and me and our wood provider. And our wood provider said openly, listen, lying about ship dates is just how things get done in skateboarding. Every company lies. So stop complaining about it. Suck it up and, you know, like move on. And we said, we're unwilling to work with a partner in industry who lies to us openly about something as small as a shipping delay.
0: What else are they going to lie about?
1: I've heard that if someone lies about little things, they're going to lie about big things too. Absolutely. I don't know. People don't think that's absolute. Some people have the opinion that I only lie about little things and I don't lie about big things. But I think, again, I revert to New York and I'm like, fuck (laughs) you. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know. That's No, that, I'm going to say what I think, and what I think is that I I try not to lie, and it makes my life simpler, and it, it does hurt me because I tell people things they don't want to hear. Like, you know, and I try – I you know, I have a, a fundamental respect for all humans, but please don't expect me to respect behavior that is not respectable. You know, like uh, if you're going to turn yourself pro, you've got to at least let me rib you about it. Hmm. You know. Yeah.
0: You, you know if turn I rib.
1: Pro. Yeah, if I ri- if I rib you for turning yourself pro, don't try to drum me out of town. I'm going to be here for thirty years. You know, I'm going to be doing this when I'm seventy. Right. You know, uh, come on, you don't want you you don't want to be Cobra Kai. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's you know, exactly what you see too. That's Cobra Kai is exactly
1: it. It's fucking Cobra Kai, baby. <laughs> And and I, that's what one a couple things you know. 2008 we had a big shift in the economy, and we lost uh, between 2008 and 2010, or between uh, 2010 and 2012. I can't remember. Um, Transworld Business reported a 20 percent reduction in both recorded user rates of skateboards. That's attendance at skate parks and things like that. Right. And uh, and the industry's overall volume so that's a 20% reduction that would be moving from 5 billion dollars national industry to 4 billion dollars that's a big drop
0: it's a very big drop
1: so i i have to say i noticed the scooter revolution but you know the scooter kids aren't even at the skate parks now in cincinnati Uh, over at Florence Skate Park in Northern Kentucky or over at Delhi Skate Park, there are no more kids anywhere. Those kids would rather stay home than hang out with skateboarders. The skateboarders have become a bunch of skinny boys, all men, all male, all wearing the same kind of pants, same kind of shirt, same kind of hat, same kind of shoes. (laughs) You know, it's very homogenous.
0: And dictating what is fun for everybody else.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I got accused of being a fun Nazi. (laughs) You know, um, it was Bill Danforth uh, who who kept saying "fun or quit."
0: Yeah.
1: Or I think Bill Danforth said like "fun or fuck you." Um, I can't remember. That sounds every,
0: about right. Yeah.
1: Every time Bill says "fuck you," all I hear is "I love you." You know. <laughs> and and uh, and you know who really brought that together for me was Grant Taylor and his Skater of the Year uh, uh, address. Did you did you hear his speech when he got Skater of the Year? No. Well, I'd like everyone to Google that today. Um, because uh, Grant brought "fuck you" and "I love you" together in a beautiful way, as Jake Phelps fell into the drum kit. <laughs> it was beautiful. I'll have to check that out. Oh, Dude, that's post, find it and post it up for everybody to watch it. Well, so this is you. you now you you jumped in and you got swirled around inside the maelstrom of how fickle boards came out of my heart and my mind. I don't think I even touched on how agonizing it was or how disappointed I was that I was I was met with. Um, one thing I did, I was expecting the boards to be quite bad. Um, I was expecting my concaves to be quite horrible because you wouldn't expect it to be perfect or right. First time out, you wouldn't expect it at all. And and I'll tell you my first rounds of boards, I, I really didn't have that much trouble getting past the, the, you know, getting the bolt holes, right. Um, my holes are still smaller than the holes in most boards. Um, and uh, they're right on, like my holes are right on. Uh, back then, I had a few boards, and I will replace them if there's a problem. I had a few boards where the bolt holes were crooked. One one man, David, he had a, a board that I replaced for crooked bolt holes. And one shop, the Galaxy, under new ownership, complained that my boards had crooked bolt holes. And I came in; it was just one board. But I came into the shop and I said, "Hey, bring a, bring me a ruler. Let's 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 see." where these bolt holes lie, because there's an optical illusion that was involved. The graphic had a lot of lines in it, and I yeah. suspected yeah. it wasn't as far off, but I wanted to see for the clinical reason. And they notified me with, with a very cold attitude that they did not have a ruler or a tape measure in the shop. And uh, I said, okay. Um, and I trust that you know, if you look at it and you see that the bolt holes are off, but you know, optical illusion plays in a lot. And I wanted to see in the shop with them how far off we were talking and I wasn't arguing on my behalf. I just wanted to get clinical and they were totally disinterested in dimensions or anything like that. I even had one Cincinnati shop owner, I said, What are you riding today? And he said, I don't know, I don't care. I said, What? What <laughs> What? <laughs> what do you sell me something, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sell me I mean, you something. own a shop. Yeah, you own a skateboard shop. That was the anchor skateboard shop of the of the city they had a they have when you come to their shop it says welcome to cincinnati skateboarding on the side of that shop and the owner of the shop with a surly you know unhappy face tells you i don't know and and then he proceeded to kind of explain to me that people who care what they're riding are not cool they shouldn't you shouldn't care what you're riding nothing is cool man nothing is cool nothing's cool man nothing matters man slash handsome (laughs) <laughs> Nothing matters, man. Nothing matters. I got a beard and a dog and everything matters. <laughs> <laughs> well that that's the heart of, of what's going on with me. That's the you know, you can put that diamond on the black velvet and tilt it and we can talk about different facets of it, but it's about loving it's about loving the feeling of riding, man and it's about loving it together and making it about riding together and making it about different kinds of riding together
0: yes and making that a community of diversity and not yeah. everyone just being the same
1: i or didn't even trying to be the same in 2005 there was an experiment among the the core shop people here in cincinnati i encountered it in 2005 they were fed up with all these old men returning and and some of this rhetoric, Thrasher was doing it too, some of this rhetoric of if you ever quit, don't come back was going on. Did you ever run into that, Thornton? No, well, I never really quit, so. <laughs> well, that's funny because because that you remember that prominent filmer I was trying to describe to you earlier? Yes. But he likes to come on my Facebook uh, posts, and it's always entertaining when, when this young man comes around. Uh, because he says the most preposterous things about me as if they are facts. Um, and he he wrote in uh, June of I think it was June 2014. He wrote this huge, fantastical series of, of things about Lou Ross. Um, and one of them was that I just moved here a few years ago and I, d- I didn't even skate, you know? And I thought, tell it to my left meniscus, man. <laughs> <laughs> tell it to the ligaments in my left foot. Now, if you think I suck at skateboarding, that's an opinion that could hold water, you know? um, I think there are a lot of immature, insecure, mean people who would like to, to argue that I suck at skateboarding in order to throw fear into the hearts of people who don't think I suck at skateboarding and to try and keep them from talking about all this shit littering our skate scene in America.
0: There it is, folks. My conversation with Lou from Fickle Skateboards. I know it was a little one-sided, but that's just how it is when Lou is on a roll. You just let him roll. If there is someone you want to hear on the podcast or see on the website, Facebook group, or blog, please let them and me know. If you are doing something interesting in the art and craft and sport of skateboarding, get in touch with me. You can always email me. The email address is luchamag at com. Until next time, good night.